Hi, I'm Father Chris Alar of the Marian Fathers here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy, and welcome to the 99th episode of Living Divine Mercy here on EWTN. There are many hot-button moral issues today, such as abortion, gay marriage, and transgenderism. They are fiercely debated, because no matter who we are, somewhere deep inside our hearts, we know they are wrong, even if we don't want to acknowledge it. However, other issues, such as divorce and contraception, are almost completely forgotten and are not topics of debate. Why? Because they are now completely accepted in today's society. But what is church teaching about divorce and annulments? Jesus confirms God's word in Genesis that marriage is to be between one man and one woman and is to be for life. He teaches that true discipleship is not to include concessions because of weakness. Therefore, divorce is excluded and remarriage may become adultery. Wow, this is a hard teaching. The Greek word apoluo, translated divorce, means the relinquishment of a legal right. The Pharisees tried to trick Jesus by saying that Moses allowed a bill of divorce. But this was allowed only uh, because it provided some legal protection for a woman who was abandoned. It made the husband relinquish his right to her so now another man could marry and protect her. So Jesus is not really saying divorce is okay. He is saying it was an unfortunate concession because of man's hardness of heart. Jesus said, what God has joined, let no man separate. Based on this verse and the catechism of the Catholic Church, we can surmise that divorce can be sinful in and of itself. However, is divorce always a sin, and is it ever allowed by the church? Many say it is not divorce, but rather remarriage without an annulment that is the sin. Well, maybe, but not necessarily. Catechism 2384 states divorce is a grave offense against the natural law and does injury to the covenant of salvation. Then paragraph 2385 says divorce is immoral because it introduces disorder into the family and into society. This disorder brings grave harm to the deserted spouse and to the children traumatized by the separation. And starting a new union with someone after you've been married to someone else adds to the gravity of the rupture, permanent adultery. However, divorce may not be sinful when one spouse may be innocent. For instance, they tried to save the marriage, but were abandoned. Catechism 2386 says, It can happen that one of the spouses is the innocent victim of a divorce decreed by civil law. This spouse, therefore, has not contravened the moral law. 
There is considerable difference between a spouse who sincerely tried to be faithful to the sacrament of marriage and is unjustly abandoned, and one who through his own grave fault destroys a canonically valid marriage. So both parties may be guilty of the sin of divorce, or one party may not be guilty. That is why Catechism 2383 says that if civil divorce remains the only possible way of ensuring certain legal rights, the care of children, or the protection of inheritance, it can be tolerated and does not constitute a moral offense. That is why some divorced people may receive Holy Communion, but not remarried people without an annulment. An annulment is not a Catholic divorce. It is simply the Church declaring that a sacramental marriage never existed in the first place. Remember, a number of elements must be present at the time of marriage for the sacrament of marriage to occur. The first is canonical form. That means a Catholic, baptized Catholic, must be married in a Catholic church. Obviously, this applies to Catholics only. The marriage of non-Catholics may be valid, even if they did not marry in a church, because while not sacramental, it is still a natural marriage. Next, the couple must also freely and knowingly choose to enter marriage. It must have free consent and not be a shotgun wedding, for example. Then the couple must understand what marriage is. Some are young and immature and don't understand what it entails. They must know it is a lifelong relationship, and they must both be open to having children. Again, if any of these elements are missing at the time of marriage, it is not a valid sacramental marriage in the eyes of the church. Next, the couple must intend fidelity and the mutual good of one another. Many people marry but have no intention of being faithful to their spouse. And lastly, they must have the physical and psychological ability to follow through with the intentions of marriage. Um, so things such as impotence are an impediment to sacramental marriage. So when all of these factors are brought together, a sacramental indissoluble union exists. It cannot be dissolved um, for any reason, even if the civil government through divorce says it can be. An annulment states that one or more of these elements were not present at the time of marriage, and thus a true sacramental marriage never occurred. Remember, however, that the spouses believed that their marriage was valid or they wouldn't have entered into it, so the children are not illegitimate. A church decree of invalidity does not imply that a legal marriage never existed, but only that it did not have the character of a sacrament, meaning again that the children are not illegitimate. Now, what do you do if your marriage becomes unbearable, if it is very abusive, for example? Canon law says that it is best to first get church permission for a separation, which can help maintain the marriage bond. 
The hope is that the spouse will change after the separation and reconciliation might be possible. So these situations don't always need to end in divorce. The divorce primarily happens when, after the separation and other consequences, the abuser remains unwilling to change. This can be an indication that there was an impediment to having a sacramental valid marriage in the first place. This would allow the spouse who had to leave the grounds for an annulment. In Canon Law number 1153, it states, A spouse who occasions grave danger of soul or body to the other or to the children or otherwise makes the common life unduly difficult provides the other spouse with a reason to leave, either by decree of the bishop or, if there is danger in delay, even on his or her own authority. The canon goes on to say that once such a danger has passed, though, common life should be restored. Basically, the canon law of the Catholic Church says that it is best to get permission for separation. As we said, it doesn't really mention divorce. The catechism says if this doesn't work, then divorce may be needed, like to protect legal rights. But how does this reconcile with the Gospel of Matthew, who says that you can divorce for unchastity? Well, unchastity here does not mean infidelity. It means here an invalid marriage, not adultery. So those persons should split anyway because the marriage was invalid in the first place. And finally, civil divorce affects the legality of marriage. Yes, but not the sacramental reality of marriage. What we have to remember is that for the baptized, marriage is indissoluble, and nobody can cancel that bond, not even the church. If two validly baptized people marry without impediments, it is sacramental and thus binding. This kind of marriage cannot receive a divorce because Jesus said, let no man separate what God has joined. An annulment is simply given to show that there was not a sacramental marriage in the first place. Again, may be legal, so children are not illegitimate. An annulment simply shows that something needed was lacking at the time of the marriage or there was an impediment that meant one or both of the persons should never have entered into the marriage bond to begin with. Keep in mind, however, that not all hope is lost. A marriage outside of the church can later get a special blessing called convalidation as long as neither person was married before. And while not many people know about this, it can put you back into a state of grace. Since hardness of heart and human weakness continues, even within the Christian community, it seems that the possibility of divorce will be allowed to continue, but always with the recognition that it is necessary only because of human failure. It's never an automatic right. In those cases, please talk to your pastor or your bishop. Marriage does take perseverance, and it's not easy, but the rewards are great. Now let's hear the story about an example of when a family comes together and a husband and wife who love each other, trusting God, 
and love their neighbor, what fruit a marriage can bring. This is the story of Divine Mercy Farms in Pennsylvania. When I was young, I had this sort of split desire to be a farmer and be in the natural world, but also to be inside of books. I had parents who were very practical-minded and said, you got to get a job someday and you got to find a way to support your family and do those kinds of things if you're going to have one. And so the study of literature and the study of growing things were sort of woven together throughout my entire life. I didn't have any sense of what my faith was in any way whatsoever. I think I had gone to Mass maybe uh, 10 times my entire life by the time I was in my 20s. I was 23 at the time, and I decided to go live in Europe and take a break from graduate school. So I went to France and Spain, and I walked part of the Camino to Santiago de Compostela. In doing the pilgrimage to Santiago, it became my pilgrimage. And when I got to Santiago on the Feast of St. James, there was just a profound moment of conversion in the church. It was as if God just kind of like put his hand on me. It was so obvious that my life had to be Catholic in every way. God was the one who ushered me in. I finished grad school. I finally, I get a job. It was a Catholic college. I was an associate professor of English. I taught things like agrarian literature, like earth literature and farming and things like that. It was a great opportunity, but I felt like there should be something more. The school that I was working at there just was nothing there that really said, Christ is the center of this education at this college. I remember I had just created a course called Literature and Christianity. I felt like there should be something more, that I wanted the poetry class to go out and plant garlic at the same time as we were reading Dante. Well, the more that I talked about a Catholic curriculum, the more that I think all my administrators got really kind of nervous and they took an opportunity to make faculty cuts. So I knew I was gonna lose my job but God had prepared us for something different, to start our own farm. Right at the moment when we weren't quite sure what was happening in life, a good friend of ours said, you know, you should pray this Divine Mercy Chaplet Novena. We had never said a Divine Mercy Chaplet in our lives. We didn't even know what the devotion was. So, okay, so we're like, okay, we're gonna do this Novena because you know what, we need to grow in holiness. We need to do more devotions. We know that I'm gonna lose my job and we're trying to find a farm and nothing is happening. So we prayed the Novena and then on Divine Mercy Sunday, the priest talked about how Divine Mercy is feeding the poor. And I said, wait a minute, we wanna start a farm to feed the poor. Where did that come from? So I, I took out my little notebook in the middle of Mass. I didn't, I didn't look at my wife, she's sitting over there. I wrote down on the notebook, Divine Mercy Farm. Mass ends, my wife turns and looks at me. She didn't know I wrote that down and she says, Divine Mercy Farm. So I go to a guy who would hand me this pamphlet for Divine Mercy Chaplet Novena, Jerry Bauman, and I said, I think that my wife and I called to start a farm to feed the poor called Divine Mercy Farm. Matt, we gotta talk. So we talked, and we talked a lot. So he contacted a friend of his who started a ministry 30-odd years ago called My Jesus Mercy Ministries. So Jerry said, Matt, you gotta go up there and talk to Joe Grady. He's got a lot of land up there. I know you're looking for this farm. So in the midst of all this call, my wife and I felt that we didn't just necessarily want to feed the materially destitute, we wanted to feed the religious, the, the spiritual poor, because we saw that in our desire for our Lord through adoration, 
we were the most poor that we could ever be. And in that, it sort of struck a chord with us that the religious orders, especially the cloistered orders who are praying for the salvation of all of us, they're the ones who we need to focus on. So one day in May, I drive up to meet Joe Grady. His land is called the City of God on Mary's land. Mary owns the whole thing. You could just tell he loves Jesus so much. He's saying, you know, you're welcome to farm up here. And I said, that sounds nice, but I live an hour and a half away. A farmer's has to kind of be where he lives. And, and I pointed to a house that was just next door. And I said, well, what about that house? And he said, well, nobody's living in that house. And the brother and the sister own it. So he gave him a call and a couple weeks went by and they said, no, we're not really interested in selling it. Okay, well then a few weeks later, Joe Grady has a mass. Lo and behold, it was a Carmelite friar and he announced that My Jesus Mercy Ministries was gonna donate 13 acres to an order of Carmelite nuns. I said, wait a minute, Jess, we wanna feed an order like the Carmelites. We have to get that house. So after the mass, we told this to the priest. He must have thought we were nuts. Like, who's gonna lose his job as an English professor and just say, honey, let's just start a farm. We're never gonna make any money because we're gonna give everything away and we're gonna feed an order of nuns that we're never gonna get to see. We finally talked to the brother and sister. They were still getting the house out of probate. It was a whole big mess. The house had been abandoned for years. When my wife and I drove up the driveway, I could just tell she, she got like that thing where she said, don't talk. It was like the house of our dreams. Now I had a job at the time, so I was still able to qualify for a mortgage. I don't think I've ever done so many devotions in my life. We just knew we needed to give everything to the Lord for this. It gets down to the wire. It's December 2021. My job is ending December 31st, 2021. I have one month to acquire this house and I qualify for a mortgage still. We're ready to sign the papers and the people who own the house hesitated for a few weeks. Then it was Christmas. It was impossible now to get a mortgage, to have everything go through in a week. We lost two people who were very close to us that Christmas. It was a very sad time. But for some reason, we just knew that we had to completely give it to God. The new year comes, I am officially released. We look at each other, we don't know what to do, but it's the 12 days of Christmas. So we're gonna celebrate the birth of our Lord. And then on the Feast of the Epiphany, Joe Grady calls me and says, hey, Matt, somebody's going to buy the house for you, and it's going to be Divine Mercy Farm. It was nine months from Divine Mercy Sunday to almost exactly to the day. Getting here was for God's glory. Now having to turn an abandoned property into a farm that actually feeds people is another cross that we have to carry to glorify God. But I get to be in the most beautiful place I could ever dream of every day of my life. The moment of my first conversion in Santiago de Compostela, all the way up to today, it is a continual line of trying to be more in unity with our Lord and to love Him and to see how much He loves me and how He loves all of us. I just want to give my son a vision of what it is to live a faithful life and a virtuous life and to really love Jesus. I want him to see that every single thing we do is with our Lord at the center of it. We can trust him and we can give him everything. Loving your spouse, loving your children, and most of all, loving God. Thank you for being a great example to the community. 
Now, let's hear from Father Kaz as he talks a little bit more about the issue of divorce and what an annulment is and why we need it. Hi, my name is Father Kaz Shralek, and I am a Marian of the Immaculate Conception, and this is Ask a Marian. Today, I'd like to answer a question. Why does the Catholic Church require every divorced person who wishes to marry in the Catholic Church or wishes to become Catholic to obtain declaration of nullity? For those for whom divorce seemed like the only option as there was no longer any hope of reconciliation, is it possible for a divorced person to marry someone else in the Catholic Church? Yes, it is. But before entering a new marriage, the Church requires the divorced person to obtain an annulment or declaration of nullity of their previous marriage. Who issues such a declaration? The Church's tribunal. Through a tribunal process, the Church seeks to determine if at least one of the essential elements required for a binding union was missing at the moment of consent, that is, the time of the wedding. If so, the Church can declare that a valid marriage was never actually brought about on that wedding day. What is required of a Catholic marriage to be valid? That the spouses are free to marry, that they are capable of giving their consent to marry, that they freely exchange their consent. In consenting to marry, they have the intention to marry for life, to be faithful to one another, and to be open to having and raising children, that they intend the good of each other, that their consent is given in the presence of two witnesses and before a properly authorized church minister. Some common grounds for annulment recognized by the Catholic Church include, number one, lack of canonical form. If a Catholic did not follow the proper form of marriage as prescribed by the church, for example, getting married outside the Catholic Church without proper permission, the marriage may be considered invalid. Number two, Lack of consent. If one or both parties did not give full and free consent to marry due to, the, to factors such as force, fear, or mental incapacity, the marriage may be considered invalid. Three, impediments. Certain conditions or circumstances that existed at the time of marriage may invalidate it. These include a previous valid marriage, a closed blood relationship, or lack of capacity to assume the essential obligations of marriage. In summary, a declaration of nullity means that a marriage that was once thought to be valid civilly and canonically was in fact not valid according to the church law. A declaration of nullity does not deny that a relationship existed. It simply states that the relationship was missing something that the church requires for a valid marriage. A declaration of nullity has no effect on the legitimacy of children who were born of the union following the wedding day since the child's mother and father were presumed to be married at the time that the child was born. Through an annulment or declaration of nullity, the church enables individuals to pursue a new marriage within the Catholic Church if they so choose. Pure love is capable of great deeds, and it is not broken by difficulty or adversity. As it remains strong in the midst of great difficulties, 
so too it perseveres in the toilsome and drab life of each day. It knows that only one thing is needed to please God, to do even the smallest things out of great love. Love and always love. Jesus, host, if you yourself did not sustain me, I would not be able to persevere on the cross. I would not be able to endure so much suffering. But the power of your grace maintains me on a higher level and makes my sufferings meritorious. You give me strength always to move forward and to gain heaven by force and to have love in my heart for those from whom I suffer adversities and contempt. With your grace, one can do all things. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for this unfortunate but necessary topic of divorce. And be with us next week as we have a huge celebration on our 100th episode of Living Divine Mercy. In fact, it'll be a special one-hour program at a special time. So please join us. We're switching the time for just this week. It'll be on Sunday, August the 6th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time or 7 p.m. on the West Coast. We hope you will join us then. And until then, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.